Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for making AOA part of your day today. I know a lot of growers are out there working in the fields, and if that's you, we hope it's a safe and productive day here across the country. We're going to have a productive hour here next on AOA. We're going to be talking with Steve Nicholson, the global strategist for grains and oil seeds at Rabo Research here in segment two. We're going to dive into their long-term look at the grain market. Steve just recently released a report, rather, looking at the grain market through 2030. That's a long way off. Lots can change. Steve will fill us in on what he's watching for in the market in the years ahead. And then in segment three, we're going to bring our focus a little bit more current. Krista Swenson, the chief economist with the National Corn Growers Association, is going to join us because conversations about extending that Black Sea grain export corridor are still in place, although the likelihood of it being extended appears to be dwindling. Krista will join us to tell us just what that could mean for the global flow of grains, particularly corn, here as 2023 rolls on. And we're going to end today's show by talking with Chuck Connor, President and CEO of the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives. They've been very aggressive in trying to find ways to alleviate some of the labor shortage throughout agriculture, but they've got some concerns with the most recent immigration bill introduced in the House. And Chuck will fill us in on what he believes the industry would like to see in order to alleviate some of these labor concerns. Taking a look, though, at the markets today, it is mixed trade in the grains. We've got front month July corn down 10 to 14 cents so far today. The deferred contracts all down three to four. Wheat market, different story. Hard red wheat front month July up 21 cents today. Deferred September up 14 and a quarter. Concerns are mounting in the trade about the quality of this winter wheat crop. And a lot of those concerns are being crystallized this week as the Kansas wheat tour is taking place across the plains. Yesterday, Tuesday, was the first full day of the tour and approximately 106 people from 22 different states, plus Canada, Mexico, and Colombia, actually, all got together to travel on six different routes, traveling between Manhattan, Kansas, and Colby, Kansas, yesterday. They were stopping at wheat fields every 15 to 20 miles along the routes, and this was all part of the 65th annual Hard Winter Wheat Evaluation Tour. Now, the market has been very focused on how much hard red wheat we're actually going to see come out of the Southern Plains. They have been in the bullseye of that exceptional drought category for coming on three years now, and it's telling in these yield reports. Two weeks ago, the Oklahoma wheat growers uh, released their outlook for the year, and it was dismal statewide average production of 24 and change bushels per acre, and Kansas also shaping up to be considerably below the five-year average. Yesterday, on the first day of the tour, the scouts made three 318 stops. They parked at wheat fields basically across the north central, central, and northwest portions of Kansas. And then they also got a little bit into the southern counties of Nebraska. And um, at this point, what the scouts are seeing in that part of the geography was a yield of 29.8 bushels per acre. To put that in perspective, that's 10 bushels lower than the yield in 2022, which came in at 39 and a half bushels per acre on those same routes. Now, of course, the tour over today and tomorrow will be pressing itself farther south and farther west, moving into those areas that have perhaps been more impacted by the grip of this exceptional drought across the Southern Plains. No doubt we'll continue to see the trade react to these numbers as they are published. As Darren Newsom mentioned yesterday, that exceptional short position in the wheat market has been minimized, though there could still be some substantial buying power given the overall signals that are coming out of this wheat market. Another market we have been keeping track of for the past two years is poultry, notably the impact of highly pathogenic avian influenza. The editors over at Meeting Place, that's M-E-A-T-I-N-G place.com, have been compiling reports of when and where these disease outbreaks are taking place, and they note that they continue to spread on the global basis. Eastern Europe currently seeing some outbreaks of HPAI. 15,000 turkeys have been culled in the Czech Republic, and that's uh, not the first one. Czech Republic has reported 21 outbreaks of the bird flu so far this year. 
And back in January, authorities there authorized the uh, culling of 750,000 chickens. Illinois, however, has a piece of good news for those of you listeners who are livestock show people and you want to take your poultry back to a show in 2023 the state of illinois says in-person poultry shows will be allowed uh, last year they called those off uh, pushed every poultry show to move to virtual because of hpai this year because the outbreak has been slowing down across the midwest officials in illinois believe that now there might be some opportunity to uh, bring these back to in-person at county fairs and festivals over the summer. That's not the only HPAI news. Um, we've talked about some countries looking to pursue vaccines for highly pathogenic avian influenza, the country of France being the farthest ahead in trying to pursue some sort of a uh, wide-ranging vaccine for their poultry flock. The United States hasn't done much on a vaccine so far from a regulatory perspective for HPAI. Tons of concerns about the export markets that American poultry needs to get into before we started to add some vaccines. However, the USDA, in fact, yesterday announced that they are taking emergency action to protect the endangered California condor. Several, nearly 20, have been killed by HPAI over the past several years. So the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has approached APHIS about a vaccination. And now it sounds as though, excuse me, 13 condors have died that were confirmed to have HPAI. Two others are in recovery. And they're looking, is it possible to vaccinate these endangered condors against HPAI. We'll see as that continues to take place, but if we go north of the border, north of the U.S. border into our friends in Canada, folks, the province of Alberta right now is on fire. If you're not plugged into what's taking place in Canada over this past week, week to 10 days, we have seen over 90 wildfires take place and start in Alberta. As of yesterday, 23 of them are burning out of control, and that's according to the government in Alberta. I spoke to a friend of mine who's a cattle rancher up there, Woke Ranch in Alberta at WOWK ranch and they report that the big concern the canadian cattle industry has long term is that many of the grazing leases on some of this grassland and open prairie has conditions in there that should the ground be affected by fire it can't be grazed for five to seven years I've reached out to our friends at the Canadian Cattlemen's Association for an additional update and to see if there's perhaps some way American cattlemen may be able to help out our friends to the north. Canadian ranchers are dealing with similarly priced hay as American ranchers, and now we're seeing so much of that go up in smoke there across the province of Alberta. Keep your ear to the ground, folks. If you hear your friends in Canada reporting any troubles, by all means, let me know. We want to keep up to speed with what's moving in the cattle business around the world. We've got some other news coming for rural America. According to the Biden administration, nearly $11 billion in new grants and loans for clean energy products has been approved as a part of the Inflation Reduction Act. Now, I have uh, reached out to our friends at the National Council of Electric Cooperatives, and next week they will be coming on the show. We're going to talk about how this $11 billion will be impacting power generation across rural America and what their thoughts are here on the grid as we look out to the future. Folks, stay tuned. We'll be talking with Steve Nicholson from Robo Research here when AOA returns about what he expects to see over the next seven years in the grain complex. Stay tuned. More AOA coming up right after this. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Please be silent as the runners take their marks. And looks like one plant has already pulled into an early lead because it's been enhanced with Biopath, a biological fertilizer complement from the Mosaic Company. Wait, wait, and the early favorite has crossed the finish line. 
Get the most out of your fertilizer investment. Don't forget to add Biopath to your early season application. Talk to your retailer about Mosaic Biologicals today or visit cornsprint.com. Did you know that pork is the world's most consumed meat? Pork comprises over one-third of all meat consumed. Pigs were domesticated over 9,000 years ago in 7,000 BC, and there are more than 180 species of pigs. Why pork? Well, it's not just because everybody loves bacon. Historically speaking, pork is a very easy meat to preserve via smoking, curing, or salting. Not only could it keep well before refrigeration, but it also tastes great under various preservation tactics and adaptable to a variety of flavors, spices, and dishes across different cultures and regions. There are twice as many pigs as there are people in Denmark. Did you also know that China is the world's lead pork producer? In 2020, they produced an impressive 41.13 million metric tons of the meat, which equates to almost 91 billion pounds. So the next time you dive into that plate of bacon, know that pork is the world's most consumed meat. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice U.S. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA continues today. And a lot of times when we talk about the markets here on AOA, we are talking about actions happening in the trade today, potentially tomorrow. Maybe at most we're looking out six months until that next crop is online and ready to drive the global prices. Well, for this next segment, we're going to take a look back. Steve Nicholson, the global strategist for grains and oil seeds at Rabo Research, recently published a report looking at the crop markets and their baseline expectations through 2030. 30. Steve, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Well, Mike, good morning. Thank you for having me. It's good to talk to you again. You know, looking out through 2030, a friend of mine forwarded me your report, and he said in the subject line that uh, Robbo was uh, was braver than he was to make seven-year <laughs> forecasts here in this volatile environment. Steve, tell us, how hard is it to calculate things like the market when you're looking that far into the future? Yeah, it, it is. And you do certainly, as your friend said to you, it, it's, you know, we barely know what's going to happen tomorrow, let alone 10 years from now. But, but having said that, we, the ability to put together, and I'm going to use a couple big economic words, and, and I apologize, this is like your preacher using a big the, a theological word in church, but, um, you know, an econometric model, and this is a partial equilibrium model, um, and so we're looking at relationships. We're looking at mathematical relationships across, you know, many, many years. And so certainly history is what you, what you start with because that's what you have. And then those relationships, and, and the good news is that, you know, despite, you know, all those swings in the market or people saying the laws of economics have been repealed, you know, those laws and those relationships stay pretty stable throughout many, many years. Short term, yeah, there's a lot of disruption or a lot of, you know, ups and downs and turmoil, but reality longer term, those relationships stick together. And so that's how we look at it. And that's how we're brave enough to use your friend's, friend's quote, uh, to, to look at that and say, what does that mean? Because we really want to know, is there changes in trends? Is there trends that we're not seeing on the day, you know, that we get lost in the noise? Um, so all those things are, because that informs us about what we should be thinking about longer term and what are the things that, you know, we get questions from exporters, we get questions from farmers, you know, what should we be thinking about? What should we be investing in? 
Well, Steve, those are all huge. And when you mentioned separating the signal from the noise, my goodness, the crop markets in the last three years <laughs> have seen an awful lot of noise. Major trends as you look towards 2023 rolling into 24 and beyond. What are some of the real trends you can pull out of this volatility we've seen in the recent couple of years? Yeah. So let's kind of we can focus on short term and we'll get to long term. So I think, you know, when we look at what's happened here right now, and let's let's talk about kind of the last three months and kind of the next six months. You know, when you look at the trends, the market has certainly taken a risk-off approach. You know, we don't see any risks in the market. We have big acreage. We've had quick planting. Uh, emergence appears to be right on time. And so the market's saying everything looks good. The weather's been good right now, and we don't see weather issues on the on the horizon. So. And we have big acres, so everything's, you know, everything's a go from a market perspective. So I think the other piece is we have to look at the macro. The markets, and this is not confined just to commodity markets or agricultural commodity markets, is the whole, and, and I have to say this is, you know, it's hard to get your head around this, is that people, again, are risk off, trying to preserve cash. Interest rates are higher. Oh, my gosh, the sky's going to fall because we're going to have a recession. So all that has gotten people very, very nervous. And you're pulling liquidity out of the marketplace. You know, there's been a lot of money pulled out of commodity markets in the last couple of months. And so, you know, that money was there in a sense to be supported to the marketplace. But as we know in past history, and we're going to see this again, you know, we see markets get pushed to extremes. Think about when the war started, how high commodity markets went. And now we're on the opposite end of that, of that spectrum going down. So I think there's a lot of, we have more outside influences in the market than we've ever had, in my mind, really for the last 20 to 30 years, if maybe not even longer, when you go back as far as the 1980s, of outside influences really have an impact on agriculture. And so I think that's what we're seeing here in the market today um, as we go forward over the next couple months. But the weather, you know, in the end, this all comes down to weather and yield, and that we don't know yet. Weather yield, of course, Steve, but also area. You note, interestingly, in your report, the yeah. crop area hasn't grown too much over the past couple of years, despite the intense level of returns we've seen for farmer profitability. Does that tell you that our acreage for principal crop production is, is capped long term? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. If you look at U.S. principal crop acres, there have been a long term downtrend and we just can't seem, you know, we tapped out at the high back in 1981, 82 crop year. I think that's, remember, it might be 80, 81 that we tapped out. And that's true on the global basis as well. You know, we topped out at a, a big number out there. And we've never been back to that number since. Granted, their CRP came into play, stuff like that. But the fact is, and you pointed out exactly the question, at these prices, why wouldn't you do everything to expand acres? And that's just been very difficult to do. And so now... If you can't expand acres, how do you expand production? And it all comes back to yield and genetics and, and you know soil and cultural practices. And Steve, as you take a look at the, those production practices, the, those things that could yeah. improve or supply of these grains, obviously we've seen yield gains pretty substantially in both corn and in soybeans in recent yep. years. Is that a trend that you expect to continue? I do. I think there's a lot of, you know, part of this is pressure and I'm going to say the word sustainability, which I try to avoid in some ways. Um, but when we put all that that in a bushel basket, you know, there's a lot of focus on soil. And, and it's it's not, it is, as we had a client said, I don't, when you say soil healthy, you imply my soil is unhealthy. So and she says, I don't think my soil is unhealthy. I just need to make it more, and I use the word resilient, in the sense of can, can this, what can we do to the soil to make it more resilient? Also the ability to provide more nutrients to the plant so we don't have to add as many nutrients to the soil to do that. And we know that that's possible, and we're certainly seeing investment in that area. So I think that's a big place where farmers, um, farm input companies, scientists, uh, extension are all focusing on what can we do to make that soil healthier, what can we do to make it more resilient, whether it's nutrients, availability of the plant, or water holding capacity, all those things. I think that's a big emphasis going forward. Because we know the plant has, when we think about corn, you look at championship yields, and they're you know they're they're four or five hundred bushel acres. So we know the plant has the genetic material to the genetic potential to be even higher yield already. All right, and if we're going to keep improving the supply of these grains, Steve, from a farmer's perspective, we've got to keep driving demand. You mentioned That's acreage right. may be capped, but we'll see that switch between corn, soy, and wheat. Folks will work around in there with what works for them and what makes sense. On the soy side, do you see that demand, that domestic crush, continuing to expand through 2030? 
We do. And that's probably, that is one of the differences between our, our model and what you would see out of USDA or faculty at the University of Missouri, for example. We are, we are, we are putting into our model the expansion of oil seed, soybean crushing in the United States because we think that's going to happen. This is, you know, it's not these, you know, this is real money that's been invested. And so we have put that in there. And so as you look at the model and you look at the results, you do see soybean acres eclipsing corn acres kind of not this year, but as we go into the next three, three or four years, we see soybean acres eclipsing soy, a corn, and then coming back as we normalize, as crush margins get a little contracted, and those older plants, you know, the more efficient new plants will take over, and the older plants will be, you know, they're mothballed or shut down or, or closed altogether. Um, so we'll see those soybean acres come down later in that 10-year period. But the fact is, you're going to have a continued very um, and it goes back to our original conversation about acres, you're going to have continue to have a fight for acres between corn, wheat, soybeans, canola, sunflower, sugar beets, whatever crop you want to mention, uh, that will be supporting to prices in the longer term because those crops all want those acres. And I think that's a really important thing to talk about, to think, you know, be, be aware of. I think you're right, Steve. And as you look at the demand drivers for both corn and soy, we've seen biofuels be a huge part of that demand for corn. It's growing as that renewable diesel takes takes shape. Yep. Policy impacts through 2030. Any changes to biofuel? Could that impact overall demand? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, we're we are just finishing up a paper on SAF, um, sustainable aviation fuel. That could be huge because you don't have the challenges from alternative energy sources, and I, you know, I sort of joke with people. I said I'm not really willing anytime soon to get on an electric jetliner or a solar power jetliner or you know something with you know some other fuel that I don't know about. Um, so I think liquid fuel has a long runway, no pun intended, for airlines. But you know we do know that as EVs take over and incentives are there, and consumers, particularly in you know what I would say East Coast and West Coast where they don't have the long distances to drive we have out here in the middle of the country, um, you know, EVs continue to take over. So that will reduce liquid fuel, liquid fuel for, you know, passenger cars and, and potentially trucks as well. So the, the SAF is a huge plus going forward for both the oil seed business and the corn business. Keep an eye on those biofuel markets, folks. They definitely matter to farmers' bottom lines, but it's good to hear that sort of strong demand outlook through 2030, folks. That was Steve Nicholson. He's the global strategist for grains and oil seeds over at Rabo Research. And Steve, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Good to talk to you as always. Folks, stick around. Krista Swanson, chief economist for the National Corn Growers Association, will join us when we return. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform. As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. On the internet, there are tons of special networking websites, but one stands apart. This one saves lives. It's MatchingDonors.com. MatchingDonors.com links organ donors with people in need of kidney and other transplants. Did you know in the U.S., 19 people die each day waiting for an organ transplant? If you've ever considered becoming a living organ donor, or if you're someone in need of an organ transplant, please visit MatchingDonors.com. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, as we take a look at this market trade, we see a little bit of strength in Kansas City wheat and spring wheat. We saw some in the overnight. Looking for a little bit more here as we get into Wednesday's session, but we are taking maybe just a hair of profit here while we continue to see corn and beans doing their best to rally off the overnight lows. But corn, beans, and Chicago wheat still showing some selling pressure there. Now, in the case of this wheat trade, the strength in KC wheat was due to the Wheat Quality Council tour showing that the crop in Kansas badly damaged by drought and cold. Crop scouts in Kansas projecting the average yield for the northern part of the state at just 29.8 bushels per acre, the worst for the tour's first day since 2003. 
Spring wheat, meantime, getting some strength from the continued planting delays across the northern plains. It is worth mentioning again, North Dakota, just 20% planted to spring wheat, 5% on corn, 2% on soybeans. Also, the Black Sea grain deal, no extension in sight. The corridor is now nearly empty with only seven outbound vessels left in safe passage, so we're watching that as well. Beet oil has been under pressure for the palm oil market, which has been floundering as demand from India wanes and supply remains stout. So that's something we're keeping our eyes on as well. That led to a lot of the selling pressure in the soy complex yesterday. We look at the livestock trade. It's relatively mixed. A little bit of pressure in hogs early on the day Wednesday. Looking for more follow-through from what we've seen Monday and a little bit in the front months on Tuesday. Live at feeder cattle trade mixed with deferred feeders trading a little bit higher. Crude oil is up about 1%. The stock market higher. The Dow up around 130 points. In grains, July corns down double digits, but the rest of the deferreds, 4 to 6 lower. Beans unchanged to 5 lower. Chicago wheat down 10 to 15 with KC wheat, Minneapolis wheat mixed to slightly higher. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen. It's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA continues today, and we were just speaking with Steve Nicholson of Rabo Research there about the challenges over the past several years in separating the noise in the or the signal in these markets, rather the important information from all of the noise that's been created by geopolitical events over the past several years. Well, this week, we've seen one of those signal and or noise making events come back into focus, and that's the Black Sea Initiative, that grain export corridor that has allowed grain from that Black Sea region to move out into the global grain phys or physical grain trading system. Well, it might not be coming back. May 18th, as of now, is the last date for that corridor. And we wanted to see just how big of an impact would a change in that grain export corridor have for global corn demand. Joining us to bring us up to speed on that issue is Krista Swanson. She serves as the chief economist for the National Corn Growers Association. And Krista, thanks for joining us here today. Thanks so much for having me on, Mike. Looking forward to talking with you. Well, let's start with the beginning here. This Black Sea Initiative, this grain export corridor, has been in place since July of 2022. And Krista, do we know how many grains have moved through this corridor? Yeah, so the Black Sea grain deal has allowed for the safe export of over 30 million metric tons of grain and other foodstuffs from Ukraine since it was initially agreed upon back in July of last year, uh, focusing on um, on corn specifically, 50% of, of that grain and food stuff that's been moved through that deal has been corn. And, you know, that's really important to our uh, industry uh, at, with national corn growers. Um, but also corn was, was the grain that was most affected by the blockages at the beginning of the war because back in February of 2022, when Russia first invaded Ukraine, at that point in time, um, the stocks of, of grain that Ukraine had, about 75% of that was corn at the time. So th that was a really big deal when, when, when that, you know, war began and, and exports were, were, were blocked for the period of time uh, from February until this agreement in July. 
I should say um, exports on through the Black Sea region or through the Black Sea. True. Good point, because we have seen some exports continue to leak out via land. But Krista, I'm so glad you mentioned that point that 75 percent of the grain in storage when that war broke out were corn, because so much of the media focus has been on Ukraine as a very important global wheat producer. But as you note, in your most recent report here, looking at the Black Sea region, corn production in the Ukraine has been on incredible uptrend over the past 15 years, hasn't it? Yeah, definitely. They have they have really ramped up production. Um, actually, when we look at where they were at in terms of production 15 years ago to where they were in 2021, uh, before before you know we started to have the war induced impacts, um, that their growth in production was more than 1,200 percent in that time, um, and, and and they reached that record high production level in 2021 and then of course last year's production was was quite a bit lower than that because we started to have the war impact and and you know some land not being able to be uh, productive because of uh, that going on in that region Absolutely. It's tough to reach 100% productivity when there are unexploded ordnance in your fields. Now, yeah. Krista, as, as you think about the past two years here, as we've seen this back and forth with the Black Sea region exports play out on the global market, have American corn farmers benefited? Obviously, we've seen the price rise, but have we actually physically exported more goods or is that potential now in front of us? Yeah, so I mean, I think there are ramifications for for the world market, and and it, there's you know definitely, um, you know, U.S. corn farmers have the ability to fill that void. I I don't want to, I don't like to use the word you know opportunity or or look like it's a tough situation because you know we're looking at it from an industry perspective, but at the same time. Um, you know, really feeling for what the farmers and, and that nation are, are facing right now. But as we look ahead to 2023's uh, production here in the United States and 2023-24 marketing year, uh, USDA, the projections that they have for production for U.S. corn farmers this year, we have, you know, um, a large number of acres paired with a record high yield that they're currently projecting at 181.5 bushels per acre. Um, together, that would... Uh, result in U.S. corn farmers producing what would be you know, the second largest corn crop in history, second only to 2016. So we are going, you know, assuming that we have the weather to support this, and so far planting progress has certainly uh, set itself, set the stage well for, for that possibility. Uh, you know, we are definitely going to have the production there to, to contribute towards filling that void um, that that may be left in the world market by what's happening in Ukraine and, and what's expected to be even lower production there this year. Well, and that was going to be my next question, Krista, because I know you are plugged in to global global corn production, and, and we continue to see pictures of the fronts push uh, you know, back and forth across those corn and wheat fields in the Ukraine. Are we anticipating reduced production in that country for five to seven years? I mean, assuming that this war continues in its current pace? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, United Nations actually has a, a an estimate that up to 25% of Ukraine's productive land would not be available for planting anytime soon. Um, that's kind of the messaging coming from there, and that's because of, of mining and you know trenches, um, craters that have been uh, in in that soil from the bombs, toxicity. Uh, so we have all of these things that even if the war were to end right now. Uh, you know, you're not going to see a return of of all of that farmland back into production um, right away. And, you know, history from other wars shows us that that could even take up to decades for, for some of that um, highly impacted land. Well, that certainly makes sense here. And now, Krista, back to the immediate term. The negotiations around this Black Sea Grain Export Corridor are happening now. And have you heard any insight? Do we do we have a sense of what direction this is going to go? And is May 18th tomorrow the hard exit for this uh, this deal as it stands today? Yeah, as of right now, it, it's looking that way. So, you know, Russia's... Um, um, Threats to end the deal have already slowed traffic. I just saw the report this morning that there was actually only seven crop vessels that were remaining in the Ukrainian crop corridor or the um, export corridor there. 
so, I mean, they've already scaled back, I guess, in anticipation of this not getting renewed. Last week, there were some meetings um, between Russia and the United Nations and, and um, some of the other neighboring nations there. Uh, but, you know, it, I don't know as far as you know, if we're going to see any news today. Um, I did see a report that the, uh, you know, some, some reports coming out of Turkey that, that they did anticipate an extension would be reached. But, uh, you know, I'm not sure. I don't have any connections into those negotiations uh, to know any more than what's uh, being reported in the news on that. But uh, as we think about what what type of impact that might have for for U.S. prices and and op, um, you know like we already talked about the the possibility of filling some of that void um, if Russia agrees to extend the grain deal, you know maybe it, it, it might result in a in some movement even lower in corn price. We're already at a point that's sort of near the low end of of, of what is really a two dollar range in in some of our corn contracts for the 2023 crop. Um, if the deal falls through, then we might see, you know, a bounce back or a little bit of premium added to where we're at on prices right now. All right. Yeah, we are watching the trade move back and forth. Grains continue their movement to the downside. Today, as Krista just mentioned, we've got December 23 corn trading under $5 right now, hitting $4.98. Krista, as you think about but potentially what's coming with with greater American production as the growing season starts to warm up. We've got prices coming down, of course, not ideal for American corn growers, but maybe a welcome reprieve for ethanol plants and end users, those folks who, uh, who need to secure some corn here as this year goes on. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly a lot of dynamics when we start talking about the grain markets and, and farmers and the users of our products, um, you know, aside from from ethanol, like you mentioned, you also have the, the livestock producers who are, uh, you know, now able to buy some of the grain feeds that they need at, at lower prices too. So it's sort of a cycle. Um, of course, corn farmers would like to see higher corn prices, of course. Uh, and, and I mean, another concern as we as we think about what the prices, the price points are at right now, is you know the cost of production. As we see input prices that, you know, the cost of growing a corn crop has been higher this year and last year than in other recent years. And, and you know, last year we still had high enough corn prices to provide a, a, a nice margin versus this year with these lower price levels that really puts the crunch on on farmers. So a bunch of dynamics to, th to, to think about. That is so true. Those margins are being squeezed. Keep your head on a swivel, ladies and gentlemen. Krista, if folks want to read your, your new article in detail, can you tell us what it's called and where can they go to find it? Yes. Yeah, so on the National Corn Growers Association website, um, in, the, in the top bar, there's a menu bar and there's a link for corn economy. And that is where you can go to find all of the articles, including the most recent one on the war in Ukraine and, and just, you know, everything Mike and I have been talking about today. But you can also uh, find other work I have done. And uh, you can also sign up for the feed to, to be notified when there's uh, new content there. Stay up to speed, folks, on the issues that are moving the markets because those markets move your bottom lines. And we got to be paying attention when margins are getting as tight as they are. We've been talking today with Krista Swenson, Chief Economist with the National Corn Growers Association. And Krista, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Stay with us, ladies and gentlemen. Chuck Connor, President and CEO of the NCFC, will join us next with a look at a discussion for ag immigration. Stay here for more AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength a champion of courage, an advocate for hope. You are not alone because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. 
We fund. We fight. We, we win. We 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 are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. It's the most important race of the year. The one where winning is everything. Where the decisions you make now can and will define your entire season. The yields you're dreaming of are either won here or lost here. This is Corn Sprint 2023. You win it with Biopath, a biological fertilizer complement from the Mosaic Company. Specially formulated to make nutrients more available during the most critical uptake periods and strengthen root systems for better absorption. It's the kind of edge that gets your crops all the way to the finish line with greater yield potential, greater return on your fertilizer investment, and just plain old greatness. So win the corn sprint. Include Biopath in your early season fertilizer application. Contact your local retailer or visit cornsprint.com. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416. At YMCA Summer Camp, kids find their why. Friendship and fun, a world of adventure beneath a golden sun. Running, laughing, full of wonder, being themselves is second nature. Summer Camp is where they begin to unlock the confidence that lies within. When kids find new passions, they find their why. Summer Camp season starts soon. Learn more at ymca.org for a better us. The water is open. It's time to go boating and fishing and leave stress in our wake. Feel the wind as we ride and a fish on the line. Reel in our first catch and feel the sun at our backs. It's get out on the water season. It's time to get on board. Find out where to get on board near you. Visit Take Me Fishing and Discover Boating to learn more. And please recreate responsibly. Get on board. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA continues today, and we turn our focus next to a long-standing challenge in agriculture, 
the challenge of labor. It's not just ag specific, it's everywhere in this economy in 2023, but it continues to be an acute challenge in agriculture. And the Agriculture Workforce Coalition is a group of stakeholders in the agent in the ag industry who keep track of what's happening in immigration policy, and they push to find ways to improve labor availability on the farm. Joining us now for this next conversation is Chuck Connor. He serves as president and CEO of the National Council on Farmer Cooperatives, a very important group in the Ag Workforce Coalition. And Chuck, thanks for joining us here on AOA Today. Mike, I appreciate you having me on this morning. You know, we have a ton of discussion right now around security at the border and immigration reform, but so far, as near as I can tell, really only one piece of actual legislation in the House that's the Secure the Border Act. Chuck, does it address the challenges we'd like to see from the Ag Workforces Coalition's perspective? Well, it, it doesn't directly, Mike. And um, I think if you survey most people in agriculture, they would tell you that we do need a secure border. And we need some control over the coming and going of that border. But uh, having said that, uh, this legislation that passed on a partisan way uh, in the House last week doesn't get us any closer to solving any of the problems that we have on the ag labor front. And as you've noted at the beginning, this is when you survey our members and their farmer directors, this is the number one challenge they have to growth in the future is they cannot get labor. Chuck, and we've been talking about this challenge. Well, you've been talking about it for years, but over the past three years, it's intensified here in 2023. Is the labor challenge improving or is it getting worse? How do things look for your members? Well, I think it's probably getting worse, Mike. And I say that because, you know, just in terms of labor availability, uh, that hasn't gotten any better. But as well, some of the things we've been trying to change in terms of those labor rates for foreign workers coming into the country, you know, the old formula in the inflationary times that we're in now is artificially raising these rates that you you know that farmers have to pay to bring in foreign labor way above you know anything that would be considered cost of living you know in some cases 15 20 even 30 percent increases over last year there's not those kind of margins mike as you know in agriculture farmers can't afford you know to raise the pay of their workers by 30 percent for crying out loud they just they can't pencil that out so it's just not only in availability, but in cost, it's just an issue that is screaming for help. It is. It's screaming from help. And we hear that from nearly everybody in industry. We hear it from lots of politicians, Chuck, but so little actually gets put on paper. With this Secure the Border Act, even if AWC might not like what, what this particular version is, at least we're getting some things down. Are there any good ideas that AWC would like to see continued into some, some more uh, far-reaching immigration reform? Well, it's an important point, Mike, and let me just say, you know, relative to the border circumstance, when we could not get a ag immigration reform bill passed late last year, we were close, but it failed. At that point, we knew that we could not get successful legislation until the border was secured. And so in that regard, this debate that has been occurring in the House, and, and again, it, unfortunately, it's going nowhere in the Senate. Uh, so this is, you know, this is not something that's headed to the president by any means. But the debate on border security is important because, again, I don't think we can discuss our ag issues until that border is secure. And I've, I've come to that conclusion with many failed attempts to solve the ag problem. So. We want to encourage that process to go forward, but we're going to continue to, you know, to make the case here that uh, the very fundamental element of the United States being able to feed itself, which, you know, has been part of our history uh, as a, you know, as a breadbasket region is being called into question by these labor issues that we're trying to solve. Right. We need workers on the farm to produce all the goods that we sell, not just domestically, but around the world. Chuck, as hopefully these immigration conversations pick up in Congress this year, one of the concerns I've heard from folks in industry is that the mandatory electronic verification that was pushed in this act might make another reappearance. And, and they do not seem too fond of that. What have you heard from your members on that particular component? Well, there is grave concern over any kind of electronic e-verify test out there on the, on the farm, uh, Mike. We know that, you know, one of the reasons we have been seeking a legislative fix is we know we've got a problem on our farms and ranches today, and that is a great number of our non-family workforce 
consists of those folks who whose documents would not pass, you know, a modern e-verification test. Uh, you know, if you want to put it another way, they may not, you know, have legal documentation to be in this country. That's not a that's not a handful of people working on the farms and ranches. That's the majority of our workforce. So, you know, just doing it without those folks is not an option. We we would not feed ourselves if if they weren't on the farm. And so we have been throwing notes of caution to members of Congress saying, don't apply E-Verify back on the farm. We know we've got a problem. We've been working for 10 years to fix that problem. But don't, you know, you can't throw these workers out. We've already got shortages. Don't create, right. you know. They're the ones with the training on those farms, I'd imagine. Right. It, you know, they're, they're, they're literally, you know, this is not just um, specialty crops. You know, these livestock sector, pork, dairy. I mean, these are workers that are scattered throughout our food production system, and we can't do it without them. Chuck, what's the best place to push for folks out here in the countryside who recognize the need for immigration and labor reform? Do we call our Congress people first? Yeah, I mean, this is this is going to require a legislative fix, uh, Mike. Um, there's there's no. Uh, claim here that somehow Congress or the administration are not following the intent of the old law. Um, they are. Uh, the problem is, you know, the old law was written in the mid-1980s, a uh, very, very different era than, than what we've had. And, and again, we've been for well over a decade trying to amend that law, and uh, it needs to be done. So the message that to members of Congress is fix our problem. Fix it. Now is the time to get it done, folks. We've been talking with Chuck Connor, President and CEO of the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives. Chuck, thanks for joining us today. And folks, tune in tomorrow. We'll talk what the Minnesota soybean growers are looking at with regard to clean air. We'll see you then for more AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor. Restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. 